0: of, with all due respect, Strong Opinions on Politics, Life, and Entertainment. Welcome to another episode of With All Due Respect, the podcast that, although it was born with two left feet, we are considered by some to be quite the Casanova at Ponce de Leon High. Greetings, I'm Jerry Fleck, your host for this Best in Show podcast. With me, as always, is my co host with the most, my chief collaborator, Cookie? Cookie Googleman? Mr. Van Sanders! Mr. Sanders, as we approach this holiday season, are you both holly and jolly, my friend? Uh, I, I would say I'm, uh, I'm holly and jolly, I guess. Um, I'm, I'm very grateful for the bad things that have not happened. Excellent. As always, we'd like to thank the Anchorage Daily News for hosting this podcast on their platform and remind listeners that the very strong opinions you hear on this podcast are mine and mine alone and in no way, shape, or form represent the opinions of the Anchorage Daily News or their employees. And we would also once again like to thank our listeners. By the time you hear the sound of my voice, we will have reached 60,000 downloads and only 44 shows. So thank you. On today's With All Due Respect, in politics, we start with federal politics. Boy, we haven't talked to Congress in a while. The campaign for Alaska's lone congressional seat is afoot. Who is Nick Begich? And why is Don Young giving him so much leeway? We're going to talk about why I think this entire race is a con job. And not a cool con job like The Sting with Robert Redford. In state politics, a public commission has voted to limit the amount of per diem lawmakers can claim. And ladies and gentlemen, this recovering politician says, hallelujah, can I get an amen? Per diem is the biggest scam since, well, since per diem. In local politics, Mayor Dave Bronson loses yet another longtime city employee. So today we thought we would pause for a moment and read the names of those who will never return home from the Bronson administration. In life, Alaska's public schools demand attention. They're hemorrhaging staff, they are struggling to recruit new staff, and the system is at a breaking point. Today, we're going to resurrect a groundbreaking education study and ring the alarm bells for teachers and everyone associated with the school district. In entertainment, we review a great book today about how a famous Italian fashion family was destroyed by, you know, greed, jealousy, and murder. Spoiler alert, the book was just released as a major motion picture. In closing comments, last week emails released showed Anchorage City Manager Amy Domboski attempted to cut the live feed during a recent raucous assembly meeting. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not sure what bothers the podcast more. The fact that Demboski tried to cut the feed or the fact that Domboski tried to cut the feed of arguably the highest-rated assembly meeting of the entire season. I mean, who was not watching that episode? I mean, look, she cuts that feed. This is 1968 outrage all over again when the networks cut away from the Super Bowl to show Heidi. So... Places to go, people to see, and podcasts to host. Let's get this all started by talking some politics. Politics. Life. Entertainment. In federal politics, Representative Don Young is running for his 26th term, and I have just one question. What in the hell is going on? To quote the great Tone Loke, Ace... Something just ain't stirring the Kool-Aid right. Faced with a challenger from young Nick Begage, the 44-year-old grandson of the former Democratic congressman of the same name, Young has stayed eerily silent while his opponent, the young upstart Begage, has consistently criticized Young as at a touch and past his prime. Ladies and gentlemen, when have you ever heard Don Young back down from any criticism? The last time Young was seriously challenged in a Republican primary was back in 2008. And if you'll remember correctly, then-Lieutenant Governor Sean Parnell surprisingly announced to a room full of Republicans that he was going to challenge Young. Young, of course, immediately jumped up and told Parnell, I beat your dad 20 years ago, and now I'm going to beat you. Don Young has never, ever backed down from a challenge or a challenger. So why now? Why is suddenly Don Young so silent when faced with a challenger? And it's not just Young's silence that's concerning. His biggest supporters are abandoning ship and abandoning ship very publicly. I mean, nobody is saying a word about Ashley Reed, the powerful lobbyist, or his son Truman, who was Young's campaign manager just two years ago, jumping ship and supporting Nick Begich. Both have publicly said that Don Young's time has passed. Okay, so why is this young dude stepping up with no pushback? I mean, Beggage's sickly staged an announcement of a Wasilla campaign where he w- waved the flag of being more conservative than Young, clearly he's trying to position himself as the viable alternative to the aging Young. Ladies and gentlemen, I am just going to cut to the chase. I don't believe there is any way that Don Young plans on making it to next November's election. I believe this is a complete setup. This is clearing the deck if I've ever seen it. And it makes sense, right? Young is 90. He's growing older. Clearly, he's worried about serving out another two years. This is a coordinated handoff. And let's be honest, it's poetic, right? Here we have Congressman Nick Beggage perishes in a plane crash. He's replaced by a Republican, Don Young, who serves 50 years and then hands the torch to another Baggage, this time the third generation, who is now a Republican. The position comes full circle, complete with a Republican transformation of a member of one of the most prominent Democratic political families in Alaska's history. It's all so Hollywood, but it's all so possible. So my advice to those of you who want to run for Congress, this is your year because your host does not believe for a minute that Representative Don Young plans to serve another term. In state politics, a public commission last week voted to limit the amount of per diem state lawmakers may claim. Okay, as a recovery politician, this issue is near and dear to me, okay? Because while no one is getting rich being a lawmaker, unended per diem is an incentive for gridlock. I mean, let's just remember that the 14 lawmakers who basically held the legislature hostage this summer under the guise of conservatism, I mean, those folks were the largest per diem leeches in the bunch. They were getting $293 per day with 60 lawmakers. That equals over $500,000 a month every time Governor Dunleavy calls special session, and he called four of them. While I am a strong supporter of lawmakers receiving per diem during the regular 121-day session, this average per diem cost of $293 open-ended during endless special sessions is a waste of money, and again, it incentivizes gridlock. Not to mention, how come it's always the damn conservatives that are at the trough the most? I remember my freshman year when oil was at $9 per barrel. And you remember Vic Coring, the great budget cutter? I remember my freshman year, Vic Coring claimed per diem every day, including Christmas Day. Now, that's a hell of a lot of money. That's a hell of a lot of per diem to claim for people who say their constituents don't want government. You know, conservatives with per diem remind me of cats. Yes, they think they're fiercely independent, but they live and depend on a system they don't understand and don't appreciate. So I say to the state commission, good job on you. Let's raise the annual salary, but lower the per diem. Let's create some incentives for them to get their work done on time rather than create an incentive for 14 holdout lawmakers to make $2,100 a week in non-taxable income while complaining about the cost of government. In local politics, Mayor Dave Bronson's revolving door at City Hall continues to swing, and we believed that after the firing of a 15-year veteran health department employee last week, the podcast owes it to all of our listeners to go through a roster of those who have dearly departed the Bronson administration. We begin. The city's epidemiologist. The city's chief medical officer. Two of the city's division leaders from the health department the city's homeless coordinator, the city's mass care coordinator, the city's SWS director, the city's OMB director, the city's planning director, the city's key building official, the city's reproductive clinic manager, the city's property assessor, the city's health department director, the city's chief of staff, multiple building inspectors, the city's real estate director, the city's chief equity officer, and finally, Anchorage's police chief. And now, let's talk about life. Let's talk about life. In life, I want to take a minute and talk about Alaska's public education system. Eight years ago, one of the largest and most comprehensive studies of Alaska's public school student population was conducted. The study was ignored and brushed aside by public policymakers. But today, after eight years of students leaving Alaska, this podcast resurrects that study and rings the alarm bells again. In order to put this into context, we need a history lesson. Yo, Van, hit me up one time with an educational history lesson. A history lesson. In January of 2013, I was hired as president of the Anchorage Chamber of Commerce. When I was hired, I was faced with a membership that had serious concerns about graduating students. We've all heard the complaints. No math skills, no soft skills, you know, no personal boundary skills on their phones too much. I mean, we, we heard them ad nauseum. So in order to find a path forward and finally address what was happening within our student population, I reached out to the NEA. We collaborated with the United Way. We brought in other academic groups, which included both the superintendent and the teacher of the year. In concert with Northern Economics, we created one of the most comprehensive studies of the student population ever. The report documented the results of nearly 1,200 Alaska teachers and an 800-person statewide survey of Alaska households on issues facing teachers, students, schools, and communities. The study's purpose was to provide some of the information necessary to advance statewide conversations on education policy and programs in a way that supports student learning engagement and performance. The study allowed us to look inside the K-12 pipeline of what was happening at the beginning, the middle, and the end of the pipeline in the eyes of the teacher and the public. And the most fascinating was we broke down the categories into urban and rural as well, so you could evaluate every segment of the K-12 population through the eyes of both rural and urban teachers. Now, one thing was clear. Teachers and households speak a different language with respect to how to prioritize these issues. In particular, households focus on societal issues that are largely external to schools, such as drugs, alcohol abuse, and domestic violence, while teachers focus on societal issues as they express themselves inside the schools, such as chronic absence, the lack of supportive home environments, and prior student preparation. Also, it's clear the consumers of the public school experience are far more positive about the job schools are doing than those who do not have children in the school system. I mean, this is the old difference, right? This is the difference between go out and play, Johnny, and then the neighbor who's like, stay the hell off my lawn, Johnny. So the bottom line we ask is what are teachers seeing? When you look at the beginning of the pipeline, you see what's entering the system. Over half of kindergartners are not ready to learn on the first day. Some kindergartners arrive on the first day and know how to hold a book and even read words. Some cannot even hold a book right and can read no words. Regardless, by the third grade, the Anchored School District expects 80% of the kids in that class to know how to read. Now imagine if you're a kindergarten teacher and over 50% of your 30 students that show up on the first day are not ready to learn. With over 50% of the new students showing up at kindergarten not ready to learn, that puts a significant burden on the school's ability to reach that third grade reading milestone. Well, looking at this study, it's pretty clear that the trends remain the same K through 12. It all starts with poor prior student preparation. That puts the child behind the entire K through 12 and gives them little or no opportunity to actually catch up. In K through six, teachers are seeing a bad home environment and poor prior student preparation. Public educators today are seeing the same things they saw eight years ago, except they're more extreme. In K through six, the biggest issue is prior student preparation, home environment, and bullying. In seventh and eighth grade, it's the same home environment, prior student preparation, and bullying becomes more of an issue. And then in high school, it's a question of chronic absences, prior student preparation, home environment, and drugs and alcohol in the community. These are the issues that teachers both in rural and urban centers see. When we think of our student population, we cannot forget we lead the nation in almost every bad health category. Domestic violence, drug and alcohol abuse, sexual assault, child endangerment. We are not a healthy population. Add to the mix that ASD is the most diverse school district in the country with a host of cultural and socioeconomic challenges. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, there is a reason why South Anchorage High hosts a four-year graduation rate of 94%. In my alma mater, East Anchorage High hosts a 80% four-year graduation rate. And it has nothing to do with the quality of teachers. It has everything to do with the student population and the complexities they present. I remember years ago, I was researching a column I was writing on education for the Anchorage Daily News when Carol Como, the former ASD school superintendent, told me the story of how she had just enrolled five Hmong children and not one of them spoke English. When you think about all of these challenges, think about this. There is currently an unprecedented amount of teachers leaving ASD this year, which will create an unprecedented amount of openings next year. One local educator told me he knew of 12 teachers that were leaving, even those in the first or second year of their tour. Because it's not only these challenges, but COVID has brought things to the extreme from student conduct to parent conduct. It's simply difficult to be an educator in today's day and age. We need leadership on education. A superintendent leaving next year, an unprecedented amount of people leaving the school district this year. We need a vision on education. When that was the last time you heard Governor Dunleavy even mention education? The only time I've heard him mention education was when he sued to stop education funding. Next year, we are electing a new governor. We need a governor with a vision on education. We need a governor that will finally acknowledge that we are losing students, we are losing teachers, and we currently have no plan to attract or retain either of them. And now, entertainment. Entertainment. In entertainment, today we review a book that was just recently released as a major motion picture starring Lady Gaga, Adam Driver, and Al Pacino. On the morning of March 27, 1995, Maurizio Gucci was shot in the head as he entered his Milan office building. The investigation would take two years. At the end of it, Patricia, his wife, and others would be arrested for assassinating the Gucci heir. This, ladies and gentlemen, is their story. Or is it? The book is called House of Gucci written by Sarah Gay Forden, checks in at 348 pages. And while the cinematic previews center around the relationship between the husband and wife, surprisingly in the book, it is very limited. In fact, Patricia disappears for a good 100 pages in the book and only returns in any substance after she is arrested for the murder of her husband. The book focuses more on the family, the growth of the Gucci business, the public legal struggles, and the endless power plays within the family very little in the book is actually dedicated to the marriage between Maurizio and patricia it was predominantly a historical account of the rise and fall of the gucci business judging from the movie previews of the house of gucci the book i read was more like eating your vegetables and the movie looks more like an elegant dessert now this is the second fashion related book i've reviewed on this podcast the first was about the fabulous coco chanel i like these books not for the fashion but for the business decisions, the legal maneuvering, the global expansions, the strategic decisions, all of this is fascinating to me. In fact, Gucci was similar to Chanel. Both made it big in the USA only to see their brands diluted until they were rescued. Once again, the book is called The House of Gucci. And ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to skip the vegetables and go right to the dessert, this host wouldn't blame you. College. In closing comments, last week, a string of emails that was released showed Anchorage City Manager Amy Domboski attempted frantically to cut the live public feed of the assembly meeting during one of the most contentious meetings of the year. Apparently, Domboski believed that instead of calming the crowd, the same crowd she stoked weeks earlier at the Bronson's COVID pep rally, Instead of calming the crowd, or at least requesting the mayor to calm his own supporters, she decided that she would unilaterally simply cut off public access. Let me repeat that. The Anchorage city manager, Amy Domboski, decided unilaterally to cut the public broadcast fee during one of the most contentious assembly meetings of the year in direct violation of the law. Yes, city code mandates assembly meetings be broadcast, and here the city manager is clearly interfering. Unfortunately, I find myself asking this question far too often, but what the hell is wrong with these people? Why hasn't Amy Domboski been fired yet? Why? Because it's clear that Mayor Bronson is happy playing the part of the eunuch instead of playing the part of the mayor. Why isn't there any accountability in this entire administration? First, his legislative aide tries to sneak into a hospital to create a scene, and now his city manager tries to cut the public feed to avoid showing a scene. His entire eighth floor is littered with morally and intellectually bankrupt cases. This was a blatant attempt to restrict public access. Where the hell is Doc Russell Biggs at? You remember Doc Russell Biggs, don't you? The guy who launched two recall attempts because he thought the Assembly was trying to eliminate public participation? And here the city manager is, basically trying to cut the public feed. Where the hell you at, Doc Biggs? However, what was even more egregious was the response from the mayor's communication team. I mean, I have to tell you, I swear they all remind me of Baghdad Bob. First, last week when asked about the incident, the mayor's office vehemently denied that Domboski ever attempted to have the feed cut. Quote, I'm not aware of the administration attempting to make the fire department stop the live stream, Corey Allen Young, the mayor's spokesman, said. Then, a week later, when faced with the damning emails that showed Dimboski attempted to cut the feed, Young replied, quote, the live stream was not shut down at any time. Look, my man, that was not the question. The question was, why did Anchorage's city manager illegally attempt to cut the public feed? I mean, answer the damn question. Look, I know these folks don't have much to work with, but I really have to wonder how any of them sleep at night. Amy Domboski should be fired. Any mayor with an ounce of integrity or credibility would have fired Amy Domboski by now. But Anchorage, unfortunately, doesn't have a mayor with an ounce of credibility or integrity. Instead, we have a mayor who is happier playing the role of the chief unit rather than the chief executive. Amy Domboski was not only unqualified for this position, but it's clear she's pretty much unqualified for any position that requires a modicum of public trust. And there is the closing music, ladies and gentlemen, and you know what that means. Our time is up. A programming note, we will be off for the next couple of weeks, but we will return with a year-end special show. Then we will begin our regular schedule next month. Van, how about throwing us your website details? Yo, if you go to brand.com, A-B-O-D-A-B-O-B-R-A-N-D.com, you can see my weird work. You can reach out to me if you want to collaborate, make something. Um, I do 2D, 3D graphics and, uh, and audio production, obviously, with this podcast. Hit me up. All right, everybody. Have a Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Take care of yourself, and we'll talk to you soon.